Hello and welcome to another episode of The Clever Kids. This is a weekly podcast where three brothers take a look at a topic from popular culture that you may or may not care about. My name is Tyler. And I'm Jeff. This week, it's just going to be called Two Brothers. Just, That's right. Just Two Brothers. It's just Two Brothers. Um, Brian is still out on maternity leave. Um, he gave birth to a beautiful, beautiful child. Um, but yeah, so it's just going to be Jeff and I. Uh, we took two weeks off to kind of recenter ourselves. And it took about the full two weeks for me to watch Cats. I watched it the other day on my cell phone because I was like, fuck, I got to watch this movie. And uh, I was just telling Jeff before the pod, it was probably the best way. It was probably how this movie was intended to be watched, if I'm honest, because you could not tell how bad the CGI is on a three inch screen. Looked fine to me. I don't know what everyone's complaining about. Um, Jeff, uh, why did we watch this movie? Uh, it's a good question. We like to torture ourselves. Um, we watched this movie because this topic was musicals, uh, and we chose two good musical films and uh, decided to follow it up with one bad one. <laughs> um, and that is exactly what we did. Um, we chose this film because it was a very massive uh, publicity around this film. A lot of uh, attention was brought to it, especially around release. A lot of people didn't like it. A lot of people had strong feelings about it, um, specifically in comparison to the Broadway performance in which this film was based off of. Um, yeah. So let's talk about that quickly. Um, Cats is one of the longest running music. I think it might still be the longest running musical of all time on Broadway. Uh, it was on for like 20 years or something ridiculous. Um and so it's sort of like a, it's sort of a punchline, but also pretty well regarded stage production. Um, I, you know, it's been adapted and and seen on on stages um, all over the place. I've actually seen a stage production of it in San Jose, California. Um, you know, whatever. I don't. It's it's very famous. I don't need to describe what cats the musical is to the audience because you guys, everybody's heard of it. Um, I don't know if everybody knows that it was adapted by Andrew Lloyd Webber, um, based on a book of poems by T.S. Eliot, where, uh, I believe the story is that T.S. Eliot like lived next to an alleyway where he just like heard like feral alley cats like mewing to each other and hissing at each other and fighting and shit all night and so what he did is he came up with names for all those alley cats and wrote poems based on each one of them for his grandchildren or his children or his nephews or something along those lines um the book of poetry was eventually pu published i think posthumously and wasn't a great hit but apparently a andrew lloyd weber was like you know what these are all sort of musical numbers. What if I put them to piano and made everybody dress as cats and, and uh, you know, sing them? And uh, somehow he had a bona fide hit. And I believe the reason that it works on stage and probably doesn't work in this movie is that as a stage production, you're there for something that we talked about with Brian the pageantry of it all and like the stage direction and seeing like what the extras are doing on the side of the stage as they're all like prowling around dressed as cats and, 
and doing all of their, you know, cat mannerisms. Um, I think that's probably the draw of it. I definitely know that I enjoyed the stage production when I saw it more than I enjoyed watching this movie. Um, so yeah, that's the background. I do quickly want to say, uh, give the, 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 you know, the history of this movie. Um, Tom Hooper directed this movie. He was hot off the heels of, of bringing Les Miserables to screen, uh, with like, um, you know, won so many awards was like the talk of Hollywood. Um, I actually think really great. I would have preferred to have just watched that again. Jeff, you probably agree. Um, I, 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 you don't love it? I, I do love Le Miz. The only person that I, w- that I would recast in Le Miz is uh, Russell Crowe. How dare you? <laughs> um, no, I'm just kidding. No, he, he's not great, but he's it, it, fine. I like I the rest of those performances, specifically Eddie Redmayne's rendition of uh, Empty Chairs and Empty Tables. I've said this on pod before. I like it. <laughs> I've said it on pod. I like it. Good. Um, this movie is stars... James Corden, Judy Dench, Idris Elba, Jason Derulo, uh, Taylor Swift's in it, um, Rebel Wilson's in it, uh, Ian McKellen was in it for some reason. <laughs> um, yeah, what a strange movie this is. I just, I just don't understand it. Um, I don't even know. Is there a plot to it, Jeff? Yeah. So the. The, there is a plot to it. The entire idea is that uh, for some reason, this cat, this alley cat society has the ability to force reincarnation of one cat every year. They have the, put the power of that into one person who gets to delegate which cat is going to go be murdered and then resurrected as some new form of life, uh, which is interesting. Uh, that's, that's the premise. Uh, the protagonist is a female cat who gets discarded in this alleyway, joins the society for the night. And you're experiencing all of this through her eyes. Um, that's the general plot. So you're following all of the different people who are attempting to put their name into the cup, uh, of, being reincarnated and why in order to do that they have to sing a song that is so true to their personality to their spirit to their heart that represents them entirely uh and so the people who are proposing are uh um james corden ian mckellen um what was the uh the the female actress's name the first the first one uh jennifer hudson no (laughs) Jennifer Sorry. Hudson's in there as well. Um, and then you get... Uh, uh, are you Elba. talking about Vic- Victoria, the white cat? No, I'm talking about the fir- very first um, person that you see, though, the fat cat, not James Corden, though. Rebel Wilson. Rebel Wilson, thank you. Rebel Wilson, uh, as well as these two thieves. Um, but I forgot their name because um, their names are fucking ridiculous. But, I mean, even just from the very first song that you hear in this the movie just really establishes itself as just being absolutely insane where mm. they, uh, without any exposition, they, they basically try and reestablish that the name for alley cats in this world is called Jericho's. I think Jellicles. Jellicles. Yeah. 
but they're just like, yeah, we're Jellicles, you're Jellicle. The Jellicle is a cat. And they're like, they sing this nonsensical song right off the bat that is supposed to help you establish anything. But the way in which it's sung and just the insanity that is ensuing is really hard to understand. What the fuck is happening? I mean, I think if you if you have that context going into it of this was a book of poetry produced for children, it makes way more sense that than this weird CGI monstrosity that was produced exclusively for adults because I don't think this is accessible for children in the in the format that we're given. You know what I mean? Like I think when I saw this on stage, it was I was like. 13 or 14 or 15 something like that i think i saw it like as a school thing or i don't really remember um but it made sense to me then because i didn't really know a lot about musicals and it was just sort of like these like sort of weird performances and it didn't seem to be a plot it was just like sort of like different cats getting up and singing their different musical numbers and that made sense to me because i was a kid who had no context for like what a musical was right now, as an adult, knowing what a musical is, this is nonsensical. It means nothing like nothing that none of the words they're saying really mean anything. They have this lore built into the story that is never explained. Like you're saying, like the reincarnation bit that's or like how they have this ability or what their their system of belief is never explained. And so, like, as an adult, it's just nonsense. You're just watching nonsense and it just it's bewildering the whole time. Like the whole time I was watching it, it was just sort of like, it should I be like, it seems like they're trying to establish a through line, you know, like the whole movie seems like they're trying to tell a story, but none of it really is a story. It feels like, right. I mean, do you agree? Um, yeah. I mean, it definitely, there, I mean, there seems to be some form of story, but it definitely plays fast and loose with the, the narrative device. Um, and I don't know, man. I I I gotta say, I mean, just can we do a quick uh, sp- full spoiler review? Uh, I'm not holding back. There's there's no there's nothing to spoil in this. Sure, I hated this movie. Um, I I didn't like this movie really at all. There there's really only two songs in this film that I uh, enjoyed. Um, this movie is perplexing as far as why they chose to make it in this way i don't I, I don't have the broadway performance to compare it to but i hear from sources that i trust that it is different that it is better and it's just it like i said it's just it's a dip like like we talked about with brian and on the last episode he was on seeing something on stage you have a different sort of appreciation for the performance rather than like this like very <laughs> not no pun intended here but this neutered performance that we're given with this like screen adaptation i think that i really do like a stage musical something some of the magic is lost when you put it on film mm-hmm. like i feel that way about les mis i feel that way about um everything really i mean i just watched hamilton again the other day the the stage for, like the version that's on disney plus and the whole time i was just like man, I really hate what they did with the camera work in this because I feel like so much of the beauty, like the music speaks for itself in that that play, but like so much of the beauty of seeing it visually was right. seeing the choreography of it yeah. all and like how they had that, that um, spinning, that set of spinning discs that were able to spin independently of each other in the middle of the stage and like the way that they choreographed all of those, those numbers. There's some of the coolest dance numbers in that 
stage production in Hamilton, they cut away from to focus on the person singing's face. And it's like, that is objectively the least interesting part of this performance. Like, why are we watching? Like, I want to see the the hours of choreography that these people practiced, you right. know, like the forced perspective, the forced perspective of the film Hamilton is, is annoying. Like the, the zoom in shots and the fact that you're seeing it from just like the, the profile view of just right above the shoulder, just below the shoulders shot of, you know, Hamilton singing is I think a poor decision. Having, a direct comparison of having seen it with you in San Francisco and the off-Broadway is uh, is definitely true. Like, I think they would have serviced better if they had just had one stationary camera that got the entire thing in one frame closer and to the And then you row. get to choose what to watch. Yes. You know what I mean? Or like, look, there are, there are two songs specifically where you're just watching like one or two people sing and they're not really doing a dance. And I'm thinking of dear Theodosia. And then I'm thinking of the one where his wife finds out that she like after the, uh, yeah, that one that like that she's just sitting in a chair singing and in dear Theodosia, it's just Hamilton and Burr sitting in chairs, looking straight into camera. It's like, boom, give me some close up shots of those people singing during those two songs. The rest of it, let me see the stage production. That's what I want to see. You know, I wonder if they had some sort of contract where they were like, no, 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 no. We, we still want people to see, come and see it live. So maybe don't show all of the choreography. Maybe. I, I don't know. Feels like a missed opportunity to me because seeing it live, I had been obsessed with the album for like two years or whatever. And then when we went and saw it live, I was like, oh shit, I have like a different appreciation for half of these songs now because of the choreography of all of it, you know? Um, still the wait for it is the best song in that play. Um, back to cats, our, our typical topic. I do, or our actual topic, excuse me. Um, I do think that something is lost committing this to screen because I still have memories of people dressed as cats, like throwing themselves around stage. For those who don't know, like some of the most interesting stuff about cats, the stage production actually happens off stage and is more about like the mythology of creating this play. I'm talking specifically about cat school. So, uh, I'm going to kind of apocryphally uh, describe this here, but um, the when you get cast in Cats, you go to a boot camp of sorts called Cat School, where you study cat movements and learn to move your body in a very feline way. And they do that for like months. Um, I'm going to point everybody to a much better podcast um, called Why Is Cats um, with uh, com- Australian comedian C- Cameron James and one of his friends. They watched Cats when it first came out and were like dumbfounded by it and did like a deep dive research into like how the stage production came about and what Cats is and what it takes to create it. And they interview people from the movie, people from the CGI team, and they interview people who have done stage productions of Cats. And they kind of talk about the history of Cats and get like a better appreciation for it. Very good. Um, even if you haven't seen the movie, highly recommend uh, that podcast and and Cameron James's work in general. He's a very good podcaster. But listening to that, I got like a better appreciation for like what the stage musical was and why people love it so much. You know, like there is something perform to the performative aspect of it that is very interesting and sort of beautiful in like, just like in a performance aspect, this movie essentially 
strips all of that out of it and just leaves you with questions. I feel like it almost feels like Tom Hop Hooper was like, it feels like a cash grab. Really? He was like, Oh, what's the most popular musical of all time? Oh, cats. Boom. That'll get butts in seats, you know? And then he just didn't really get it in the same way that I feel like he really did have an understanding of Les Mis. You know, I feel like he understood the beauty in Les Mis and the way to kind of give us that beauty in a way that is unique. And I don't, I don't, I don't know. I just don't think that he really was able to do that with this movie. And it's unfortunate. Um, do you have any other thoughts on this before we move on? I don't, I don't really have anything else to say about this. I feel like I've gotten everything out. Um, yeah, I mean, I just think that this movie suffers from too much comedy, right? I mean, the fact that in this musical performance where normally you would have powerhouse song after powerhouse song, three out of your like six or seven songs is Ian McKellen, who is not a singer. Uh, Rebel Wilson, who's not a singer. James Corden, who's not a singer. James All- Corden is a singer. He's not like a, not a recording good artist, but he's like a, he comes from like Broadway stage plays and stuff like that. Because I did not enjoy his performance at all. Uh, oh, no. I, I honestly find him very annoying, but he is like he does come from musical theater. That's like a background. But. It's unfortunate. Um, and I don't know, just like so much comedy put inside of that uh, film that without necessarily strong performances in between to carry them. The protagonist gets one song that she sings twice uh, and you get Jennifer Hudson who sings the super mega popular Memories song which she sings part of and like, she sings that twice. Like it's just two yeah. good performances. And then of course the worst sin of all is the movie ends with Hudson leaving and then it breaks into a, like a three or four minute song of Judy Dench singing a song about, uh, I don't even know about cats. And yeah. it was the worst song of the performance. I was like, please end the film. <laughs> please, please, please roll credits. I hated it. Um, uh, yeah, I'm going to be honest. I turned it off halfway through that song. Cause I was like, I, I get it. I was like, how much time is left? Like five minutes. All right. I'm done. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Jeff will tell me what happens if I miss something. Fucking horrible. Um, um, I, I mean, yeah, I wasn't even going to bring it up, but memories is genuinely one of the most beautiful songs on the planet. I still listen to it all the time. This version is very good, very emotional. Um, but, um, yeah, very good. I remember playing it one time, my wife and I were laying in bed. This was like way before the musical the film musical came out and for some reason it just popped into my head and with my ADD and, and uh, impulse issues, I just pulled it up on my phone on YouTube and just started playing it while we were laying in bed. And uh, our cat was there in bed with us and Kelly had no idea what the song was, but she looks at her cat and she goes, this song is what this is Brown's song. Brown is the name of our cat. And, I was like, do you know what this song is from? And she says, no. And I was like, this is like the famous song from the movie, from the musical Cats. And it just was, you know, it, it, it just like, it does apply to cats. It apply, it just feels like a song a cat would sing for some reason. I don't know why, but it really does. Um, but yeah, that song is truly beautiful. Jennifer Hudson, obviously incredible performer, incredible singer. She crushes it. Um, but 
Yeah. It would, honestly, they should have just filmed a music video. You know what they should have done? You know what would have made this movie way better? Just no CGI, practical effects, cat suits. That would have been way better. Right. I feel like more interesting to look at. It would have moved a lot better. It would have felt more like real, like the choice to make everybody run around in these CGI cat suits was so just like strange. And like it made the, it made it feel like you're watching a video game cutscene with like really bad deep fake technology applied to it or something. Like that's what it felt like. It felt so strange. Like even watching it on my phone, I know I made the joke about not being able to see the seams, but like you can tell it's, it's you can tell it's CGI the whole time. It never feels like you're in a real world where real cats are running around. You know what I mean? It feels like you're so deep in the uncanny valley that it like it's almost comical just to watch them move, you yeah. know? So um, we could keep talking about this movie, but I think we should move on because there is a TV show that wrapped up last week that we both oh, loved. Uh, well, quickly, I do want to say 19% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, I honestly think that that's more positive than it deserves. <laughs> um, 19% from critics, 53% from the audience, which it blows my mind that there's 53%. I mean, let me um, tell you this. The original plan for this when they decided to adapt it was going to be a animated, animated film. Animated series, yeah. Yep. And that changed once Tom Hooper got involved. So. I think I would have preferred an animated film because, again, like this is based on a book of poetry intended for children – like make this an accessible story for children and make it like a series of vignettes about where each character comes in and sings their song. Don't try to like string together this loose narrative that just doesn't work, you know? So this is um, a funny, you want to, you want to hear one funny fact about this? Sir yeah, Andrew one, Lloyd, uh, oh, one. Sir, Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber was so affected by the disastrous reception of this film that he ended up adopting a puppy and had the dog registered as a therapy pet. And when asked by the airline when he tried to fly with it, uh, asking if he really needed the dog, Lloyd Webber responded, yes, just see what Hollywood did to my musical cats. The airline <laughs> sent an approval back saying no doctor's report required. That seems like a, a joke from Reddit. <laughs> Does it feel like it really happened? That's, that's, that's from an interview <laughs> with Andrew Lloyd Webber. Uh, that's very funny. Andrew Lloyd Webber, you're a messy bitch, but I, I appreciate it. Um, all right. What do you want to talk about? What's this? What is this show that you're you're saying? The you show want to discuss? is set in the world of space wizards, but it is not, in fact, about a force sensitive person. It is instead Andor, the uh, story of a man who gets in deep over his head um, and ends up being involved in some form of a heist, and then eventually some form of a prison break. Yeah, um, I am just going to go ahead and straight up shout out to anybody listening who has not finished the series. We're just going to go full spoilers from the yep. beginning. I think we, it's safe to say uh, that we've talked about this already, so I already know. We both really, really like this show a lot. Jeff and I were texting each other a lot uh, as it was coming out week to week. Um, I think we both have already said on the podcast a few times that it's one of the best shows we've seen in a long time. So um, we both really like it. We think you should watch it. Full spoilers going forward for Andor and any other Star Wars property or really anything that you don't want spoiled. Probably just skip ahead a, a couple minutes um, just to be safe. Um, or pause this. Go watch all of the series. There's 12 episodes. It's about 12 hours of your day. And then come back. 
You won't regret it. It's very good. I watched it week to week, and I the whole time was wishing that I had more to watch. So if you oh, get yeah. to binge it, then you're lucky. Um, this uh, show was created by Tony Gilroy, who is widely reported to be the actual secret uncredited director of Rogue One. Um, Rogue One officially was directed by Gareth Evans, I believe. Uh, he was the one who who had like gone in and and like did the primary shooting for the film and then apparently when he showed his cut to Kathleen Kennedy and the people at Lucasfilm they're like oh no we need to go in and do reshoots to save this and they sent in Tony Gilroy who's sort of a journeyman director to save it and honestly if that's true I don't know how they pulled it off because Rogue One is one of my favorite Star Wars movies of all time uh, I love that movie more than most other Star Wars movies. I have no explanation for why. I just, I think it's really, really good. I think about it all the time. Um, but Tony Gilroy came back and created this series starring uh, Cassian Andor, Diego Luna. Um, we got my man, uh, Stellar Skateboard, Stellan Skarsgård, um, and a lot of up-and-comers. Not that many other, like, big names, but... Um, to be honest, every single person in this show crushes it. So shout outs to everybody in the cast. Jeff, what's your favorite part of this series and what do you want to talk about with it? Sure. I mean, I, I want to talk just about the overall uh, spirit of this. Um, there's been a lot of content coming out from a lot of different properties. So you've got Marvel putting out a show every three months. You've got Disney competing with multiple shows between The Mandalorian, Boba Fett and everything like that every like six to nine months. Um and this was a show that I was not originally excited about. I didn't know what this was going to be about it. I went in very blind and I was hooked by the end of the first episode. The reason why I said it's a, the spirit of this show is, is one of the things that I love is because one of the things that made The Mandalorian so successful in my mind the first season was that it was the story of a Western taking place in the Star Wars universe. It was a, it was a use of the Star Wars universe to tell as a medium to tell other stories. And that was a very fun use of that space, of that time, of that content. Um, I think I didn't enjoy the second season of The Mandalorian as much, but it was still good content. And then they filled, they you know went right back to swords and sorceries and a bunch of Star Wars, you know, Jedi content, which is fine. That is their bread and butter. But at the same time, like it didn't grab me as much as the first season of The Mandalorian has. This show is by far the best Star Wars content that's come out since Episode Three. Um, in my yeah. in my opinion, and it honestly, I, this is going to sound crazy, but this I know it's I have like a recency bias here, but this might be one like top three Star Wars produced properties like that they've ever done. Like it's it's very strong. Like I honestly feel like if you have no context for Star Wars and you jump into this, you like you don't need to know anything else about the mm -hmm. world. Like it explains everything you need to know just through visual storytelling. I think it's it's just like this could have been set in a a, diff, a completely different sci-fi universe and I still would have liked it as much. It doesn't have to be Star Wars. It just happens to be in the Star Wars world that I already really like, right? Yeah. Um yeah, sorry. I kind of No, you're good. In there, but. Um and so the idea that when I say that again, the spirit of this the spirit is to tell the story of like I said, a bank heist. This person living his life, ends up becoming targeted by a security officer, gets shook down, he decides to push back and ends up killing two of them and is now in deep shit, has to get off planet, ends up relying on, uh, 
a contact that he knows that gets him involved in this bank heist. And suddenly the bank heist is like super high tension. He has to join this crew that's already been training for months and he has to join them last minute. And Nobody trusts anybody because none of them really know each other. It's it's I don't want to get too nitty gritty into like the overall structure of the show, but I do think mostly because I just want people to watch it. Like, so like full spoilers, obviously, but like, let's try not to like get reveal too much. I think the best part about it so far is that it's early days of the rebellion. So people in the universe don't even know that there is a rebellion because it's not structured. It's a bunch of different fractious groups that are all kind of doing their own thing, you know, separate from each other. So this is essentially the birth of the rebellion that we're watching and, and, or, Cassian Andor never really has any intention of joining the rebellion. He just sort of needs to get off planet because he's being hunted by the empire essentially. Um, and finds himself mixed up in the rebellion. Right. And just, I think what we're seeing is just like, he's realizing that he has to be a part of it just because he disagrees with, with what's happening on in, you know, in the galaxy. Right. And because so much of it is hidden from people, right. Like, um, I just, man, it's just, it's really interesting to see the Star Wars universe from through this lens, isn't it? Like we're mm-hmm. seeing like also like the beginnings of the Empire. Like I loved seeing that on Ferrix, there's, it's not run by the Empire at the beginning. It's run by like a different military organization that is like subcontracted through the the Empire, right? And then there's this guy who wants to make a name for himself. So he tries to, you know, lead like sort of a... Um, a military raid to get this one guy uh, and like has disastrous results. And so the empire has to come in and crush like the beginnings of the rebellion, but then their boot being heavy actually creates more dissent. And like, it just, well, and what I loved about that concept too, was that they revealed, I mean, again, full spoilers, so skip ahead if you haven't seen it, but they reveal um, that that was intentional. That, that the original contact, the person who's actually trying to start the rebellion unapologetically is like, I need to create resentment towards this oppressive empire. I hate them and I need to make everyone else hate them as much as I do. We need to get our freedom back. And so he's creating a hostile environment. He's, he's knowing – he knows exactly what to do to push the button so that the empire will take over dramatic actions to try and crush it, which will then instead inspire more resentment. And you seeing both him pull the strings behind the scenes while also the people being affected on the ground. And and it's such a realistic look at how those tensions would increase, how those steps. And there's just some really gut-wrenching storytelling. There's just some really incredible performances. I mean, right now I know it's pretty popular, but in the in the Reddit community, Andy Circus is being sung as, you know, kind of the best performance or one of the best performances in the show. Um well, it's a performance from Andy Circus that we don't typically get to see because typically he's an ape or a weird a character cave sure. creature. You know what I mean? Like he's like a CGI and like the most recent, like really good performance we got to see from Andy Serkis was in the Batman. Another movie I just recently rewatched and like, he's really good in that, but he only has like, you know, yep. two minutes of screen time. And in this, you know, like we actually get to sit with a character and we get to see a development through his character. Um, that, that like I mean to be honest, we just don't get that kind of stuff in Star Wars, really. Like that level of like character realization and character motivation, um, and like a, like such a deep seated change 
in a character. Like we've never seen Andy Serkis get that much meat in a role really. That is like his face. Um, and he is really good in it. I think everybody in this show is absolutely incredible. Um, Aunt Petunia <laughs> as, uh, um, as Cashin Andor's mother is like really good. Even that droid B B two emo or whatever mm-hmm. his name was, that that droid is like my new favorite droid in Star Wars. I was like, I want to be friends with this droid. This droid is sick. He's got like emotional problems. It's crazy. Um, I just like I just feel like everybody in this like does a good job. Specifically, Stellan Skarsgård. Is like I've always thought he was really great, but like this is a, a another just like incredible t- character turn from him that's different from other characters that we see him play. Um, there's a moment where he goes to Forrest Whitaker's character, which I did not expect to see Forrest Whitaker in this series, but um, uh, happy to see him. Uh, going and see when he goes to see Forrest Whitaker, and they have this scene where he's basically like, "Hey, there's." That I fed the Empire intel on one of the other rebellion leaders, and we either tell him that that it's coming, or we gotta let him take the fall. And like, there's this moral conundrum of like, Jesus, like, are we gonna let him? We know that he's gonna be killed or he's gonna be ambushed. Like, do we let him die or do we save him? And like, they have this conversation about like, is it better? to like let him take the fall to throw the heat off us so that we can keep working towards the greater good? Or is it better to go and save him and try to work on it together? And it was like, it's like, it's just a conversation between two men. And it was one of the most tense scenes in the entire series. Like the whole time I was just like, oh, this is like making me feel sick to my stomach that these people have to have this conversation, but they're ruthless because they have to be. And you understand that from a character point. And for a TV show in a sci-fi universe where there's space wizards and little green aliens that are cute as shit like to also share this level of like depth and character motivation is is pretty incredible i think right yep. i mean i don't know man I, I i have nothing but good things to say about the series um very good uh the only i think the only bit that that kind of threw me was post heist pre-prison there's just an episode where Cashin is like living on a beach and he's clearly like having sex with some weird alien, <laughs> which I was like, I don't know what's going on here. This is weird. And like, it just sort of felt like I didn't really, I liked where the show went, but like that's that bit between the heist and the prison scene almost felt like we could have had a season break there. You know what I mean? Rather than like this weird transition episode where I was just sort of like, now it just feels like, like what? Now the, I mean, episode, I- the show's about this. I, I agree that was a lull, probably the lowest point in the show. But at the same time, I do think that it does correctly establish. It is important in the sense that you ultimately see him, what he gets arrested for and put in prison for that sets up the second half of that season isn't even the crime that he committed, which doubles down on the fact that he is being – that the that the Empire is being extremely unfair. And Maybe they could have demonstrated that another way, but – you know, he is not the character that we see in Rogue One, right? He is not the person that has committed the Empire. He is not the uh, committed against the Empire. He's definitely not committed to the Rebel cause. Like he's, he's not the person that we see in, in Rogue One. 
And because of that, like, we still have a lot of character development to go, and he doesn't quite hit the Empire even after the Rebellion. Like, I'm glad that they didn't just go, oh, I did a heist, I hit the, the Empire now. Like, they gave him additional character motivation, additional reason to to want to fight. And uh, I uh, I agree that that was a low point in the show, but I still think that ultimately it was, I didn't hate it, because it was quick in comparison, and then, like, you, yeah, I, I felt, you know, uh, the it's in, in empathy with the uh, the character, like watching him get sentenced for such a drastic amount of time after having done nothing but flee a scene of a crime um, or potential. Um, it's uh, it's insane. Yeah, it was um, interesting to say the least on that regard. Now, I uh, yeah, we, I so I know for a fact. So listening to an interview with Diego Luna. Um, he said that he's signed on for, I think two seasons, but maybe it was three and he like capped it at that. He was like, I'm not doing any more than that. So you tell the story you want to tell in that amount of time mm-hmm. and I'm, and then I'm done. I think it's and, only two seasons, two, two yeah. seasons, 12 episodes each. Yeah, there you go. So I, I appreciate that because I think that a lot of TV shows really, you know, throw all of their weight into that first season and then they get they get another season and then they don't know what to do with it and then that second season you know stutters um specifically like long-form dramas uh struggle with that and i think that um it's a good idea for them to sort of be like hey let's just do two seasons of this make them the best two seasons you've ever seen and then just like be done with it you know, tell our, tell our story in this amount of time and not do more of it. And I, that's what I want. I don't, I don't want people to just drag shit on forever and ever and ever and ever. If, if you don't have anything to say. Right. And I think, yeah, the most interesting part of this is, is how much of it, I don't know, I guess directly parallels like a lot of things that we're seeing in the real, in our world. Right. Um, yeah, it's just, it's very interesting. It's a, it's a very good show. I'm sure I'll have more thoughts on it going forward and I'll, randomly blurt them out <laughs> as I do with every other thing I do uh, or I think about, but um, we have other things that we wanted to discuss. So just want to wrap up and or discussion there, if that's all right with you yeah, and totally fine. Unless did you have, did you have another thought there? You kind of rolled your yeah. eyes a little bit like you had another one. You sure? Nope. nope. You sure? Positive. All right. Speak now or forever. Hold your peace. Um, cool. Let's see. Rotten tomatoes has Andor at a 96% from critics and an 85% from audience. I think it should be a hundred percent on both, but whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, good. I'm hoping to see the, the birth, the birth of uh, K2SO mm-hmm. um, in the series before it ends, just because that well, robot I mean- or that droid was very fun. One of the the interesting plot points behind this is I wasn't expecting to see Mon Mothma in this, but the fact oh, that you didn't know that she was going to be in it. Mm-mm. Oh yeah, it was and like pretty. I I was aware, but so okay. so the fact that we're seeing kind of her like commitment to the rebellion, but then also like ultimately I believe that we're leading up to her getting her funding directly from Bail Organa, um, which will introduce Princess Leia to the rebellion. I think that's what we're going to see in season two. Uh, Mm-hmm. On that side of the things, which I, I hope I'm correct, but because right now she's getting her funding from a gangster. Um, For those wondering, it is snowing outside in Portland, Oregon. Um, but yeah. Uh, Maybe where you're at. Hasn't yeah. hit Battleground yet. Uh, well, okay. 
Well, way to dox yourself. Um, I, um, yeah, I just, I don't know where they're going to go with Mon Mothma. Like, I feel like this, we should have just done a whole episode on this because I have so many different thoughts, but uh, we have other things that we wanted to talk about. Sure. And I got shit to do today. So I, I'm going to stop us there and move on. But yeah, I I hope we don't, I don't want to see Princess Leia. (laughs) I liked child Leia. That was fine. I don't want to see teenage Leia at all. Um, I just don't want that, but um, let's, let's move on. Uh, We watched, we both watched another show um, that I quickly want to discuss called Wednesday uh, on Netflix just came Mm out. Um, getting a lot of hype i want to ask you how you felt about wednesday that was good um predictable storytelling but that's okay i um enjoyed the acting i enjoyed the the um ambiance i mean definitely wins the the adams family is this family that uh broods in darkness and and shows that it's okay to kind of have a, a non- conformative mindset a non-conformative personality and show that it's okay to be weird they uh, thrive in their weirdness yeah yep. and i think that they've always spoken to those of us who kind of exist on like maybe the fringes of popular culture who are into nerdy stuff or into like really dark things or like maybe right. morbid morbid concepts you know in yep. the same way that we you know the hallmark of this show is it's there's so much edgar Allan poe work in this yep. show right um, and like, you know, in the same way that he kind of allowed us all to sort of transport ourselves into like, Hey, it's okay to be sort of, you know, a little goth or a little bit weird and into like yep. dead things and monsters, you know? And I think that Adam's family really celebrates that. And they got the main man who, you know, really loves to put himself in that world, Tim Burton, who, you know, I think maybe hasn't really earned it in the way that a lot of people do, but he was, he served as a showrunner for this, um, this series and you know i think that that's you know served itself fine um but you liked it i did i liked it um i enjoyed the uh the the story that they decided to tell um i thought that wednesday was a perfect choice like wednesday as a character specifically is this kind of monotone kind of uh stoic character that um disassociates from a lot of the people in the rest of the show and just kind of has this detachment that is uh, uh, emblematic of her character. And I think that's a very fun setting to explore or character to explore in a high school setting where those are the years, those are the formative years of you forming relationships, forming bonds, making friends. Otherwise you get this, you know, uh, 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 extrication, um, if that's a word. I don't think it is. Um, Yeah, I don't even know what... Even contextually, I don't even know what you were going for there. <laughs> uh, she, like other ways, you just feel like an outcast. Um, I see. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Hey. Good. I see what you did there because that's what everyone's called in this show. Um, you know what? I I don't disagree with you. I think that it was fine as a high school setting. When I first heard that they were doing a Wednesday Adams show and that they, I had heard that Christina Ricci was attached to be in it. My so I grew up watching the Adams Family series um, series of movies, Adams Family and Adams Family Values, uh, directed by Barry Sonnenfeld from the 90s. And I really like those. I had a massive crush on Christina Ricci growing up. Still kind of do. Um, I think that she's really great. And I was really, really, really hoping to see an adult Wednesday Adams show. And that sounds like a porn. That's not what I mean. I meant 
Wednesday Adams as an adult, like, and in my head, I had built it up as a detective series, like where Wednesday Adams exists in the real world in like, you know, in a city in New York or something. And she runs her own detective agency or whatever. And she's sort of like a Sherlock Holmes type character. And it was interesting that they did that, but in a high school setting. And I think it worked, but I still feel like I would have preferred Christina Ricci playing. What? They made that show. It was called Jessica Jones. Yeah. Well, that's, you know what? That, that's so funny. That's literally what I pictured in my head. But that's in it's, that's detective in the superhero world. I think Wednesday could have been a detective it. in like the you know, myths and monsters world. Yeah. Um, and I think that that would have been fun. And they did that in this series. And I think that the mystery worked. It was fun. You're right. It was super predictable. Literally episode one, I called exactly what was going to happen. And it, they did do a good job of making me doubt it for yep. a second with some yep. red herrings where I was just like, oh, maybe I'm wrong because they're like really obviously setting up that this is the case. Yeah. But even then, I still was like, I just don't think that like this is too obvious. They're definitely throw, trying to throw me off. I, and then I was right. At the end of each episode, because I watched it with my girlfriend, um, at the end of each episode, we would sit down and we'd be like, okay, new suspect. Or, okay, like they've introduced this and these are the evidence. And we would be like, okay, I think this might be leaning this way. Okay, well, that character just died, so that's not happening. Um, yeah, so that was, they did a good job of casting doubt, but um, some of the tropes that you can predict in this kind of storytelling were, were easily followed. Um, yeah, I don't want to spoil. I don't want to do spoilers for this one just because sure. it's so new, but I will say my least favorite part was the final episode um, where all of the reveals happen. And then there's just sort of like an inexplicable new character who has powers that are ill-defined and there's like a big, you know, sort of like spectacular battle of it all that I just was sort of like, oh, I don't know if this is what I wanted from this series. Like, this I don't climax. know if this, yeah, this isn't really what I was looking for from this. Um, but you know, it's what, it's what they chose to do. And I, I didn't hate it or anything. They didn't ruin the show for me, but I will say it was probably like, I was just sort of like, oh, this isn't, I would have done something different than this, you know? Um, there's also a character death in that final episode that I was sort of like, why did we, why did that character die? Um, but we can talk about that at a later date. Um, overall, though, good. Like I, when I first heard that they were doing this in a high school where everybody was going to be like monsters and stuff, I thought that that was fucking dumb. I was like, I think this is stupid. The Adams family is only fun because of their juxtaposition against the regular world, you know? But I actually think that the setting kind of worked in like a sort of Harry Potter way, you know? Um, I will also say that the filming locations, absolutely gorgeous. Apparently they filmed it in like Croatia and like Budapest, um, which absolutely gorgeous Gothic construction. Um, the forests were beautiful, you know, small town looked fun. I don't know. Anything, any final thoughts on that one, Jeff? Um, no, just excited for a second season if they make it. Yeah, I think they, I read that they are doing a second season, uh, or like they, they are already pursuing one because it's been so virally popular on the internet. So, um, cool. You yep. mentioned mm-hmm. that you watched a lot in the last two week I, break I that did. we were on. So I don't want to go through you all kinda, of it, but. Just jump through the highlight. Just yep. give us the good ones. We're so, going to do so, like kind of a, a like a 
what what's clever, but it's just going to sure. be you telling me what you watched. So, I mean, like 1899 was a recommendation from Brian. Mm, didn't love it. Yeah, um, I only watched the first three or four episodes and was just like, I'm just not. This isn't working you could, for me. I, for the second episode, I was like, I, I, it's either going to be this or that. And it turned out to be true. And I was like, wow, I can't believe they waited till the second to last episode to confirm what they had clearly revealed. And like the second episode is very, very frustrating to me that they were like, oh, my God, this twist. And it was like, yeah, you've been fucking t- telling us since the second episode. Like, please okay. stop. All right. Hey, skip 30 seconds ahead if you don't want spoiled. Tell me the twist. I'm not going to watch it's it. A, just tell me. Okay. I'm going to pause for a second. It's a fucking simulation. So uh, like just damn it, I really wondered if that was going to be it. And so That's the character thing. at the end escapes the simulation and wakes up on a spaceship heading for um some new planet on a colony and every, all of everyone's speculating that it's a simulation within a simulation that this one is just the next level of the simulation and that cuz this this these show writers like to tell stories of 3. So it's it's clear that this is going to be a story of three parts. Um I don't know. Hated it, to be honest. But, okay. Didn't want to cover it too much because I, I think Brian and I are probably going to have a deeper discussion on it because he he said he loved it. And I rec- I watched it in his recommendation. I texted him during the show and I was like, this show better get like, way better because I'm upset. <laughs> That's kind of how I felt too. I was like, I, I tried watching it like three different times with my wife. She wasn't into it. So I was like, okay. Went over to Brian's house with Jeff to meet our, our niece. And um, Brian talked about how much he liked it. And so I was like, okay, I got to watch this. I watched four episodes in one sitting and was just like, try. I was like forcing myself by the third yeah. episode. I was like, okay, I got, I, I got to just keep pushing through because it's going to get good. And then by the end of the fourth episode, I was just like, I don't think I care about this. It and was then, a spite watch interesting for me. To me. The most interesting part of that to me is that episode four, I think is where they introduced that there's like a weird portal in the bottom of the ship that in, that you can go into like different worlds and whatever and i was like that's crazy that's a crazy development why mm-hmm. don't i care <laughs> seems like something i should care about but i really just don't care yep i don't know yeah. I just didn't, for how much dark the, the showrunners of this show also did dark which is came out at the same time as stranger things stranger things really overshadowed it um but like people who have watched Dark say it's way better than Stranger Things and is very good and that people should really watch it. I have I've watched the first two episodes twice now. N- didn't grab me. So I, I probably will never watch it. But for how much that, you know, I, I was like, OK, 1899, I'm going to get on when it starts. I'm going to get into it. And it just didn't. I just I, I don't know. I will say for me. Um the multicultural aspect did sell me. Like, I, well, this was a spite watch for me. I was angry at the directors and I wanted to see how this ended so that I could justify my anger. Um, say that I'd seen it, say that I understood it and, and be able to be angry. Because I didn't want to, you know, bow out and then have be someone like, oh, well, you didn't finish it. You didn't matter. Like, no. Um, so, but, but I will say, Bible. after the first episode, I turned off the English dubbing and watched it in the multicultural sense. With with the subtitles, I enjoyed it a lot more. Um, yeah, I think I probably would have too, but I just don't. I'm home caring for my my infant son, and sure, it's just too much. It's too many distractions to like also just like fully read subtitles. Hundred so percent fair. Dubbing. But like it was interesting. Now I could pick up. I was like, oh, that person's speaking Portuguese, and and that one's speaking. Like you could just pick up the different dialects, and it was like, oh, I like I'm learning more about the characters contextually than what they're physically stating on screen, which is fun. Um, but that's enough about that show. Um, 
watched See How They Run, detective movie, uh, which was interesting, uh, a fun little juxtaposition on a standard uh, mystery whodunit. Yeah, um, it's like a twist on Agatha Christie while directly referencing everything Ag- Agatha Christie ever wrote and also featuring Agatha Christie at one yep. point. Um, not that real Agatha Christie, but an actress plant portraying yeah. her. But um, yeah, I watched it too. It was fine. I, I didn't love it, but I also didn't hate it. I love Sam Rockwell and Cher Sharonin and David Oyelo, really. Um, and honestly, Adrian Brody. The, the cast was fire. Like, it hit on every level for me. I really liked all of the main players. Um, it just, as a movie, was just fine for me. What were you going to say? Sorry. No, you're good. Um, then I watched, uh, most recently yesterday, I watched three movies. Uh, number one was Bullet Train. You watched three movies yesterday? Yeah. And, and okay. I also beat the uh, seven-star Charizard raid on Pokemon um, Scarlet and, and uh, Violet. Um, that was fun. Uh, so Bullet Train was an interesting experience. I predicted that it was directed by Guy Ritchie because it felt like a Guy Ritchie film, but it was not. Um, there, was ton, there was tons of Guy Ritchie elements in that film that I was like, this is a, has to be. But Isn't it wasn't it directed by like David Leach or something? No, it's Joe someone. Uh, some director I'd never heard of. Um, oh. um, sorry, go ahead. So I I liked this film. Um, oh, it is David Leitch, you're right. Um, uh, yeah, that's the guy who directed some of the John Wicks and one of the Deadpool's, if I remember right. I I, I liked this movie. It was fun. Um, some of the plot points missed the mark, but overall, it was just kind of a fun film for me. Uh. Brad Pitt kind of being this lackadaisical assassin while at the same time just being like some of the the choreography is where they lost me. Like there's a point where Brad Pitt and his like second fight, a guy's trying to stab him and Brad Pitt like spins around and puts his briefcase behind his head and blocks the knife stab that's aimed for the back of his neck. And it's like, hold on the guy you turned around and the guy didn't just like change how he was going to stab you. He didn't stab you somewhere where that suitcase wasn't conveniently protected. Like I, okay. Um, just silly choreography in some cases, but mm-hmm. overall it was entertaining. If, if you want to turn something, turn your brain off and watch something, I'd recommend this movie. But if you think too much about it, you'll probably be disappointed. Um, I watched, rewatched the gentleman to show, uh, uh, my girlfriend, what a guy Ritchie film was like, cause she hadn't seen the gentleman, um, or snatch, which I think are, are, uh, guy Ritchie's, my two favorite Guy Ritchie films. Loved The Gentleman. Um, that's my recommendation for this week. But the film that I wanted to talk about that I did watch, and this is the last thing I'll say, is G.I. Joe. Um, the original G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra. Tell me what you remember about this film. Uh, exosuits. Um, Sienna Miller, for some reason, is in it as Scarlet. Uh, Wayne's brother is in it. Um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is in it for no reason. Um, Jennifer Nichols is in it as, oh wait, maybe she's Scarlet. And then Sienna Miller is the Duchess. Baroness. Um, Baroness, that's it. Um, I did not remember that Joseph Gordon-Levitt was in this film. So yeah, what a weird, this movie is so strange. Um, 
It's it yeah. was wild. So I mean, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's in it. Like first, you see him as the character of Cobra Commander, and I was like, wow, this person's doing like a really shitty um, uh, Keanu Reeves impression with like the long hair and like the raspy voice and like the short delivery. I was like, I feel like that's that's almost that almost could be Keanu Reeves, but it's not. I don't know who that is. And then it shows the flashback of Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I was like, hold on, that was fucking Joseph. That was JGL. What the fuck? Joseph um, Levy? Yeah. Um. I was I was I was like, what is he doing in this film? This almost ruined his career. <laughs> like, this is a wild choice for him. I bet he yeah. thought this was going to be a franchise or something. Like, I I don't. Um, interesting. Now, the yeah. other thing that's interesting: Brandon Fraser's in this movie for a hot Brendan second. Brandon Fraser, yeah, and apparently uh, the director. I think is the same director who did like the original Mummy movie. There's something about the the original the the, the first Mummy movie that Brendan Fraser's in, and so the character in their head canon, it's different uh, film companies, but apparently whatever he's just, he said that that a guy is a descendant of Rick O'Connell, and it's like why. <laughs> <laughs> well, who cares? Like, why? What does that have to do with anything? What a weird thing to say! It's just like a really stupid piece of canon. I mean, he's literally just, like, in this all over the internet for no reason. I don't get it. It's such a stupid thing. He's in the film for literally five seconds. He literally rides up in an ATV and... inside of a building. Yeah, and I was just like, <laughs> "Is well, like we literally paused. So, like, as soon as one of screen, I was like, what? Was that fucking Brendan Fraser?" And we were finding the film. Like, what are you doing in this film? For you to never show up, like weird ass cameo. To have no effect. Um, What a strange movie. But what I want to talk about is this movie, as I was watching it, is oppressively American. And what I mean by that is there's a moment where um, Cobra has decided to target with their nanobite metal-eating technology the the Eiffel Tower. And as just like a display of force, they can then sell these missiles in the black market for um, more money. And in this chase scene that ensues, you've got Channing Tatum and the Wayne's brother in an exosuit chasing down like an armored Cobra car. Um, and there are no less than 50 cars, inhabited cars that are driving down the road that just get fucking blown up. Anything that gets shot in this movie just fucking explodes. I mean, this is like a Michael Bay movie on steroids. And, yeah. And it's like not even just cars vacant on the street. I want to I want to restress. There are people in these cars driving and then a blast happens and they go flying 30 feet in the air. And there's a point where Channing Tatum is sprinting down the street in super speed with his exosuit. And he like slides under these two cars that get launched at him. And he goes, Woo! And I was like, dude, you are in France. There are French people just being murdered left and right around you with explosions. You were just face to face with innocent people that were launched 20 feet in the air with no reason. And you are having fun, like bring yeah. some gravity to the situation. You're like, it's so disgustingly American of just being like, I'm having fun. I'm destroying. Like, there's a it, point Well, where- it's funny that you mentioned that. So I just actually looked up uh, when this movie came out and it came out in 2009. And then there's a movie that is basically the exact same movie that came out in 2004. That is the same premise, but making fun of it. And that is team America world police, which I never really thought about it as like a comparison, but the way you just described it, I was like, Oh yeah, it is kind of just like team America world police, but not a comedy, <laughs> not <laughs> making a, fun of it. It's not a, a satire. Point where, where, where Trenton loses the, the, the car that he's chasing. And the guy's like, oh, it's on the street to your left. And he goes, I can't get there. And he goes, 
or he goes like, there's no door. And he goes, make one. And he just runs through the building. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, go over it, do anything. But so, no, just wanton prayer. And then they get arrested. And and uh, uh, the French police, like the guy shows up. He goes, the French have, have agreed to let you go on the premise that you guys never come back. And they're like, what? Never come back? That's so unfair. I'm like, dude, you guys should be rotting in prison forever like what the fuck are you talking about this yeah, is so what, disgusting so I'm, I'm i was i was flabbergasted because i watched yeah. that film i was like oh i want to watch like a turn your brain off comedy but as i watched it i was perplexed yeah. <laughs> I was what a strange at the decisions that were made. strange film um yeah and you know what the second movie is not any better they like oh, the second movie so they hard. like absolutely destroy the entire city of london like level all of London, a city with like 12 million people in it. They kill all of them. <laughs> Just every single person in London is fully dead by the end of that movie. And then they like have like an award ceremony and celebrate. And it's like, what are you, what are you celebrating? You know how many people died? <laughs> like this is insane. There's um, no less than three points in this film where, where Scarlet, who uses a, like a sonic crossbow to mark her targets, fires her crossbow and then as the person who's being shot looks into the arrow moments before it hits them in the face with no reason. In two different points, they're about to murder somebody. And the person who's about to murder someone turns to look into the, the crossbow. Yeah. And it's like, why did you turn? Why Why didn't you pull the trigger on the thing that you're killing? It doesn't make any uh, – uh, Yeah, but that's in most movies. I even thought that about Wednesday. Um there's a moment where a character is about to stab someone and then they get distracted and see that something else is coming for them and they still have time to stab and then react, but instead they just react. And what they react to uh, is a swarm of bees. <laughs> yeah. But um, I, uh, yeah, I will say G.I. Joe 2 uh, Electric Boogaloo has one of the coolest action scenes ever committed to film though like that movie sucks but that scene with snake eyes and electra nachos <laughs> uh i don't know what that uh actress's name is but the two of them fighting the the bad guys on the cliffside with the wire work is absolutely incredible and i watch it sometimes just on my phone because <laughs> i think it's so cool um otherwise that movie is absolutely terrible um cool did you have anything else that you wanted to talk about I mean, I watched a lot more, but that's, I've talked enough. Those are the highlights. Yes. All right, cool. Um, yeah, I have only watched the things that I already talked about. So I have nothing else to bring to this except for, uh, I watched, rewatched the Batman and I actually liked it better the second time, um, than when I went and saw it in theaters. So Colin Farrell's, I think, making a lot of good career choices lately. I like that a lot of things God. that he's appearing in. Yeah, I really, really, really want to watch the Banshees of Inisherin, that new one by the Martin McDonough film. Uh, for those who don't know, Martin McDonough is a playwright. He wrote the and, and film screenwriter slash director. He wrote and directed uh, In Bruges, which is one of my favorite, uh, probably what top five favorite movies, maybe top ten favorite movies um, of all time. Really like that movie. Colin Farrell is really good with that. In that with Brendan Gleeson. Then he did uh, Seven Psychopaths, which is Colin Farrell and Sam Sam Rockwell and Woody Harrelson. Again, pretty good. Um, not as good, but still pretty good. And then he did uh, three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri, which got a lot of Oscar nominations. And I think Sam Rockwell uh, won 
Colin the Academy Award. No, Colin Farrell's not in that, but Martin McDonough wrote it oh, and directed oh, it. Oh, oh, oh. Um, and then now his newest movie is kind of going back to a smaller scale, and it's Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson, and they're friends in a rural farming town in Ireland, and one of them one day just decides that they're not friends anymore, and the other one is like trying to figure out what happened because uh, he doesn't feel like he did anything. And I haven't seen it yet, but I just – it looks fucking good. Um, and uh, – I, I cannot wait to see it, but it got a very limited release uh, and um, it just so happened to come out like the week that my son was born. So I was not able to get into the theaters to see it or else I would have been there day one. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't know why I talked about that, but everybody should go try to find that movie and watch it as soon as it comes out. Oh, you know what else I watched again? Uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Good uh, movie absolutely incredible movie um everyone should watch that movie and then go listen to the episode that we recorded all about it um all right that's it thanks everyone for listening and uh oh we should come up with a new topic and a new movie for next week christmas and movies it has to be okay we're doing christmas movies uh i'll let you pick first because i don't uh, know I, I didn't have time to think about it <laughs> i mean i want to go with the grinch the live action The Grinch yeah. with Jim Carrey. <laughs> Fucking love that movie. Yeah. I, we, the three of us really like that movie. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think anyone else on the planet likes it, but we really like it for some reason. Um, <laughs> all right. Yeah. I'm in. I like that movie a lot. So let's, cool. let's watch The Grinch and we'll make Brian come back and watch it with us because I know that that's a favorite loves of it. his. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Clever Kids Podcast. If you want more from us, be sure to follow us on social media. We're at Clever Kids Pod everywhere. Or you can get in touch with us at cleverkidspodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. And be sure to rate us on whatever app you're listening on and recommend us to a friend. We really appreciate it. Or don't. Whatever's clever.